Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 through 6. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. By the way, we're, we're not going to deal with that really at all today. We're going to leave that for next week. Okay, So verse 4 is really going to be next week. It's all a package, but, but we're going to get it next week. Verse 5, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Father, I never heard a sermon like this uh, growing up. Uh, maybe I wasn't listening. Uh, maybe, maybe they were there. Uh, but God, I, I don't want our church to be that way. And uh, Father, I pray that you would give power. Uh, just to enable us to speak truth in, in ways, um, God, that, that honor you and that intersect our lives and that really deal with the, the issues of life. Uh, Father, I, I know that things like this are life and death. Things like this are, are family preserving or family destroying. And so, Lord, I, I'm humbled uh, to be the guy uh, that, that talks about these things. And, and I pray for strength. I pray for wisdom. I pray, God, for uh, just the illumination of the Holy Spirit. God, we're, we're so aware, Father, that without your Holy Spirit, we, we, we can't get truth. We don't get it. It doesn't sink in. And so, Lord, I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit uh, just to come and to rest upon us and to transform us. Father, we look forward at the end of this service to... Uh, partaking of, of the body and blood of Christ. Oh, that's what we need, Jesus. Uh, we need the gospel. Lord, your, your blood can cleanse every sin. Your, your broken body, uh, able to repair all the damage um, that transgression brings to a life. And so, Lord, we look, we look forward to that in just a few minutes. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, last week we looked at verse 1 of this chapter, which basically told us to be imitators of God. And so really, last week the whole sermon was, was kind of a, 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 a progression from don't be a griever to the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve the Spirit of God uh, with your life because He lives inside of you, because you're His. But rather be an imitator of Christ. Be a worshiper of Christ in the sense that you imitate Jesus Christ. And that, now for the last two months we've been looking at what does that mean on a practical basis? Well, it means we put off the old man. We put off the the person we were, the person we, we were in our sins, and we put on the new man. Aren't you glad that there's new beginnings in Jesus Christ? Isn't that great? 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man's in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed and the new have come. Uh, and and so, so we're putting on the new man. Now, as we think about what does it mean to be an imitator of God? What does it mean to, to be like Christ? What we have to understand is there are certain things that are so unlike Jesus, 
Jesus, certain things that are so far from who we've created to be, that the Bible says there can't even be a little of it in us. Does that make sense? If we're going to be, a, if we're going to be an imitator of Jesus, if we're going to resemble our Savior, then we've got to go so far from this because, the, because if we're going to be like God, we've we got to get clear over here, okay? And let, me, let me try to give you some illustration to that, all right? If you're going to be like Martin Luther G, uh, King Jr., then you can't have even a little bit of racism in you. Does that make sense? I mean, if that's your goal, which I, I'm not saying it should be, but if you're going to be like, if you're going to be like that guy, then you can't be a little bit of a racist, okay? I mean, it just doesn't work. You can't be like, you can't be like, if you're, if you're going to be like Rush Limbaugh, you can't be a little bit of a liberal, okay? I mean, you just can't. I'm not saying you should be like Rush, but if that's your goal to be like Rush, then you can't, you can't be liberal at all, okay? I mean, if you're going to imitate this guy, you got to be so far from that. I mean, if you're going to be like Dean Pond, you can't like OU at all, okay? You can't even, you can't ever root for him. Even when they play Texas or anybody, you can't want him to score anything and you can't own anything red, okay? Does that make sense? So, so we got over here, if you're going to, if you're going to be an imitator of God, if you're going to imitate God, then, then there are certain things that you got to go so far from, there can't even be a hint of them in your life, okay? And, and that's what verse 3 is talking about. It says, but sexual morality and all impurity or covetous must not even be named. You hear that? It must not even be named among you. Okay? Paul is saying, Paul's not saying that we shouldn't, you know, some people have taken that verse and say, well, what he's saying is we should never talk about this. Man, I, th- I think that's what the church has believed for a long time. That's not what Paul is saying. Now, how do I know that's not what Paul's saying? Paul is talking about it. And he talks about it in Colossians, and he talks about it in Romans, and he talks about it in, in, in First and Second Timothy. Okay, so, so I don't believe Paul's saying, man, if we're, you know, we're going to be like Christ or like God, then we can't even talk about issues of sexuality. No, we need to talk about them as, as God has, has ordained for us to see them in the Scriptures. There's an entire book of the Bible, Song of Solomon, that is about human sexuality. So obviously, Paul's not saying we, we shouldn't talk about these things. What, what he's saying is he's using a, a phrase there that basically the NIV, which I, I usually am not a great NIV fan, but in this case, I, th- I think they're... They're, they're onto something. They translated this. There shouldn't even be a hint of it in your life, okay? So, so he's saying, Paul's saying, there's these sins. They shouldn't even be named among you, okay? I think he's saying we should be so far away from these sins that, that, that there should not even be a mention of them in our character or associated with us or connected with our lives, okay? That makes sense? Let me try to give you another illustration of that. Let's say we're talking about race car driving, Okay? Now, there are certain guys that are actual race car drivers, okay? Jeff Gordon, Tony Stewart, uh, Kyle Busch, right? Those are all NASCAR drivers, right? They, they actually have a race car, and they actually drive on a race car track in an actual race, okay? All right? Now, you got, you got other people that aren't that, okay, but they're, they're race car fans, all right? Some of them in this room, right? You, you're race car fans, and what does that mean? That means you got a Jeff Gordon shirt, okay? And you got, you got a number 24 uh, bumper sticker or something like that, and you watch NASCAR on TV, and you go to the races, and Brian Motzik here in, in this next month, he's actually going to drive a race car on a race track, just not in a race, right? It's not in a race, is it, Brian? But he's going to get a ride. He's going to actually get to take some laps. He won something somewhere. He's going to actually be driving, okay? 
So you, you got that, okay? So you got Tony Stewart and these guys. They're actual race car drivers. You, you got Brian Montic. He actually gets to drive a race car, but he's not really a race car driver. You got other people that are race car fans. And then you got some of you that are really not NASCAR fans. You're not into race car driving. But when you drive, you look like a race car driver, right? Uh, I can mention some names. I toyed with that, but I'm not going to because most of them are ladies and I don't want to get in trouble. But anyway, you, when you're driving down Oklahoma Avenue and you're big red SUV. Oh man, I did it. I did. I'm sorry. Uh, You look like a race car driver, right? Okay. Now, now there are some people though in our church that are so far from any of that, that you could almost say that it's not even named among them. We got a lady in our church named Winnie Tennant. Winnie Tennant's not a race car driver. She's not a race car fan. She doesn't drive a car. And in fact, if you pressure, because I've tried, if you pressure Winnie to try to even get her license, she'll turn and walk away from you. Now, not, not in a mean way, but she just she don't want anything. She don't want to hear anything about it. She don't want a car. She don't want to drive. Okay, you see what I'm saying? She she's where is she? She's way over here. Okay, well, that's dangerous. But you got you got Tony Stewart over there, and you got Jeff Gordon. You got those guys race car drive way over here. You got someone who's not even named. Among her. Does that make sense? That's, that's the image that Paul's given. Okay? That's the image that he's given here. That, that's what he says here in verse 3. That's how he's describing how, how we ought to relate as believers with sexual immorality. Not only do we not do that, not, but we shouldn't be associated with it. We shouldn't dwell upon it. It shouldn't occupy our minds. We, we should not be close to doing it. We should not be anywhere near it. NIV again, there shouldn't be even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or covetousness. Among us, because it's not proper for God's people. Now, what exactly is he talking about with these sins? Let, let's look at those so we all are on the same page of, 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 of understanding this. Because really, I mean, I tell you what, I've, I told people every single week, and, and, and there's misunderstanding about this issue. And so we need to be very clear. Verse 3, but sexual immorality. Okay, what is sexual immorality? Any sexual activity outside of marriage. Okay, this term usually refers to fornication in the Bible, but it's used broadly in other places in the Bible to refer to any sexual activity. But the key in understanding this is outside the marriage covenant, outside the relationship of a husband and wife who are married. Okay, now I I know this is silly, but I have to do this. I I mean, really, I do. You're not in my spot, but I got to do this because people are not clear about this. Okay, being in love is not marriage. Do you hear that? It's not. And I got to say that because there's tons of people that think it is. That think it's the same. That when the Bible talks about marriage, that when, when they talk about being in love, those are the same. They're not the same. They're not even close. Okay? Going out is not marriage. Living together is not marriage. Being engaged is not marriage. Being best friends is not marriage. Being together for 10 years is not marriage. Intending on getting married is not marriage. Having been married and finding love again, dating again after the death of a spouse or a divorce is not marriage. You see, all those things that I just have mentioned, I have had real people tell me that's the same. It's not the same. Marriage is a unique creation of God. Man, God created you male and female for the purpose of marriage. Marriage is a lifetime covenant relationship between one man and one woman. 
And any sexual activity outside of that covenant relationship is sin. It doesn't matter if you're 14 or 24 or 54 or 94. It does not matter. Any sexual activity outside of the marriage relationship is sexual immorality. Second word used there, verse 3. It says, but sexual immorality and all impurity... That word impurity, akarthesia in the Greek, really means, it's a term that means unclean, okay? And it's used for, for just a broad spectrum of, of, of sexual sins that, that, that would not maybe be, be seen as that, okay? So, so what, what that word is, it's just a big word that encompasses all these things that are connected with sexual sin. So, so you might... Immoral thoughts or passions or ideas or fantasies or, or, or lust. Lust is unclean. Pornography is unclean. Romance novels that describe sexual situations are unclean. Using words that describe sexual things. That's unclean. Flirting is unclean. All of those things would be lumped into, into this, this, this word that, that means impurity. Okay? Now, the third word there, and here's where we're really going to get kind of messed up if, if, we're, if we're not understanding the Bible correctly. It says, but sexual morality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Now, when you see the word covetousness, or in your Bible it may say greed, what do you immediately think of? You, money, right? You know what you immediately think of? That's what I think of when, when, I, when I hear the word covetousness or greed. I think of money. And so, so in reading this verse, you might think, man, that's kind of random, isn't it, Paul? I mean, you might even get the idea that Paul's just kind of throwing out these things, you know, just, oh, you know, I need to tell them that they shouldn't even get close to sin. So here's three, boom, 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 you know, here's three sins, you know, just off the top of my head. He's not doing that at all, okay? There is a specific reason that he has this, co- this word covetousness or this sin of greed or covetousness placed with these two other sins. And, and to show you that, let me show you that it's intentional because he does it again several times in the scripture. Colossians chapter 3 verse 5. Put to death therefore what is earthly in you. And then listen to the words he uses. Sexual immorality, impurity. There's those two words. Passion, evil desire, and covetousness same three words in a verse together if we go back a chapter ephesians chapter 4 verse 19 when paul's talking about the old man the old sinful nature he says they themselves became callous and have given themselves up to then listen listen to the words he uses sensuality that's a word that talks about sexual sin and then he says greedy there's that word covetousness to practice every kind of impurity there's the third word Okay? So, so if, we, if, we are, if we're looking at this rightly, we see very clearly that Paul is intentionally placing these three words together. Okay, Sexual morality, impurity, and covetousness. Now, why is he doing that? Well, there's a good reason for that because think about what covetousness is. All right, What is covetousness? Covetousness is when we want things that we should not want. Okay, true, right? When we do not govern. When a person is covetous, they're not governing their desires. They let them run loose, okay? Well, what I like to say about that is their wanter is, is unchecked. It's out of control. It's not yielded to God. And so their desires are inflamed for all this other stuff. It's kindling the wrong kind of desires in your heart. Now, most of the time we think of money... Because that is something that people are covetous of. Man, if, if only I had money, man, I want more money, I want more possessions, I'd be happy. You know, P.G. Matthews, listen to this quote. He says, covetousness is the sinful attitude that if only we had more things, or if only we lived somewhere else, or if only we had a different job, or if only we looked different, then all our problems would be solved and we would be truly happy. Folks, that is covetous. 
It's when our desires are, are unchecked and unyielded to God. And so they're, they're inflamed for all this other stuff that we, we're telling ourselves or we believe this lie that's going to make us happy. Folks, that is deadly. It is deadly to believe that the solution to your life or your problems or your happiness is in something other than Jesus. That's the root of why covetousness is so bad. It's because basically what we're saying is Jesus... You're not enough. Next week, we're going to be looking at verse 4. We're going to come back in and pick it up because it talks about uh, a couple other sins. And then we're going to tie it together with this other stuff. But, but the thing that's going to blow you away next, next week is that Paul says the opposite to this, these things are thanksgiving. You see, thanksgiving is when we're like, wow, God, man, you're good. And what you've given, wow, thank you. Thank you, God. Okay, the opposite of that is covetousness, which covetousness says, Jesus, is, I appreciate what you did, but it's really not enough. Remember all the truths we looked at in chapters 1, 2, and 3? I bet you do remember them because for a month and a half, I've repeated them every week, haven't I? Have you noticed that, that I've been doing that? Have you noticed that? Every week we've been looking at chapters 1, 2, and 3, uh, just, just briefly overviewing and, and reminding ourselves of what God says is true in our spiritual lives. So what, what does God says is true in our spiritual life? Well, He says that we're chosen before the foundation of the world to holiness and blamelessness. If you're a believer, that's true about you. But covetousness looks Jesus in the face and says, not enough. You're adopted in the family of God. Covetousness says not enough. You're forgiven of all your sins, every one of them. Washed away, placed on the cross. Jesus dies for them. Covetousness says not enough. You're sealed with the Spirit of God. Not enough. You're promised fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. United to the Son of God, Jesus Christ. You're given an inheritance that is imperishable and unfading and undefiled. But covetousness says that's not enough. It's not enough. It's not enough. Covetousness says it's not enough. I need other things to satisfy my soul. I need other things to really live. I need other things to be happy. So what's that have to do with sexual morality and impurity? Why would Paul group those three together? Well, sexual morality is a result of not restraining our desires, not saying no to that which we covet. Isn't that right? It's allowing immorality and impurity to dwell, to dwell in our, our lives, in our minds, in our hearts. It's dwelling on desires for people and things that, that God says are not good outside of marriage. God's place for sex is between a man and a woman who are committed to care for each other, exclusively love one another the rest of their lives in a marriage covenant. That's where it belongs. That's the place for it. That's the time for it. But, but a covetous heart says, no, God, no. I, 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 want, I want something else. And I, I, want, I want it at another time. And I, and I want it at a different place. And I want, I, I, want, I want something other than your plan. I'm not willing to wait. I'm not willing to say no to my desires. But I'm saying yes to my sinful flesh. Instead of trusting that God's plan is good and right and beautiful, uh, a person who covets, their desire is inflamed. And if they do not take that to the cross, they will end up sinning against God. So the opposite of greed or covetousness would be what? It'd be things like self-control, which, by the way, is a fruit of the Spirit. Uh, through the Spirit's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It, it would be a willingness to say no, Romans eight thirteen, to put to death the sinful flesh. Okay, um, The opposite of, of covetousness would be contentment. It would be thanksgiving. 
It would be a willingness to say, or a conviction in your heart that says, you know what? Jesus is better than anything. Jesus satisfies my soul. Jesus makes me whole. Jesus is the one who will give me life. I'm coming to Jesus. I'm listening to Jesus. That's the opposite of covetousness. You know, since we're talking about ungoverned desires, um, it's important to realize that sexual desire is one of the strongest desires in people. You know, you might say, man, why, why does Paul keep coming back to this? Because really, he does a lot. You know, if you look at Romans 1, when he's, when he's talking about the, uh, the, the, the nature of sin, kind of his, his, uh, his um, summary of, of the root of sin, you know, he uses homosexuality as his example, you know? And you might think, well, why, why does Paul keep doing this, you know? Does he have a little Freudian in him or, you know, what, what, what's the deal with that? Uh, the, the thing with that, several things, but, but one of the things with that is, is we've got to realize the uniqueness of the sexual relationship. The uniqueness of marriage. When I, when, when I talk to people, I, I think one of the things we've got to get in our heads is marriage is different than everything else. You know, it's even hard to it's even hard to try to find illustrations for marriage because the only proper illustration for marriage from the scripture is Jesus and the church. You know, I mean, there's nothing else like it, really. Uh, and, and so with that, sex, the sexual relationship, which is for marriage, is unique in, in many different ways. And it's important to realize that, that the sexual desire is one of the strongest desires in people. It makes sense that this would be a really big deal in the Bible and a really big deal in our lives because God has wired us. For, to have a, have a strong desire for this, okay? And, and, it's, and it's good. It's for the purpose of marriage. In, in the marriage relationship, the sexual relationship binds a couple together. It, it, it produces a strong drive. You know, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but it produces a strong drive in a husband to be a good guy. To, to, to pursue his wife's heart and, and to provide for her and to protect her and to know her. It, it provides in the marriage relationship this means of intimacy and closeness that is unique to marriage, okay? And so, what you have here in all of us is this strong desire, okay, that is placed there by God. And what the Bible is screaming to us is, you got to be careful with that. you you got, you got to make sure, I mean, all of our desires, we, we have to be careful, okay? Desire for money, desire for security, desire for happiness, desire for uh, any of those other things. Protection, provision. Okay, we've all we got to keep all those in check. But what the Bible is saying is, look, there's this there's this one desire, and again, it, it's in you for a purpose, and it's it's awesome in in the context of marriage. But outside of that, you you got to govern that, and you got to hand that over to Christ, because outside of marriage, that strong desire for sin, if given into, will produce all kinds of destruction in your life. And that's why Paul says sexual immorality and impurity must not even be named among you. You can't even get close. Folks, there should never be any discussion among us about whether or not this is a gray area. There's a lot of gray areas in life. There really is. You know, a lot of times in our question and answer time that we have here at church, I mean, most all the questions, uh, whenever we do one of those, deal with gray areas, you know? I mean, man, Pastor, what about alcohol? And what about movies? And what about, uh, you know, what about uh, school? And what about parenting? And I mean, there's just a lot of gray areas in that deal where I can say, well, you know what? This is what I believe from the scriptures. Here's my conviction. But you know what? Somebody else can have the, a different conviction. And, and I'm not saying they're wrong. They may be right. I want to hear from them and listen to them because you know what? It's, it's kind of a gray area. It's one of those things that the Bible doesn't specifically address. And so we have to kind of work our way through discernment to figure out, you know, trying try to blind ourselves from our culture and get all the other factors out, out of our head so that we can listen to the Holy Spirit and figure out what to do. This is not one of those areas. This is not gray. It's not even off-white, okay? I mean, it really is so crystal clear. If you're, if you're married, it's fine. It's beautiful. It's God's gift. If you're not married, you've got to stay away. 
clear away. You, you, there can't even be any hint. It can't even be named among you. Outside of marriage, any type of, of sexual activity is sin. It's soul-destroying, God-dishonoring. We, we've got to be clearly and definitively living in God's will in this area of our lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. Uh, we looked at it last week a little bit. I can't remember what, why we were here last week. Oh, we're talking about the, the Spirit of God living inside of us, not grieving the Spirit, okay? And, and so we looked at verses uh, um, uh, 17 that talked about he who joins, he who's joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. And so don't, 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 don't sin sexually because uh, you, you, you drag the Spirit of God into that. But, but listen to what verse 18 says. It says, flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. That, that's an incredibly interesting verse because Paul sets sexual morality aside. You know, and, and we all the time say one sin's not a better, but not worse than the other. You know, don't rank your sins. Don't say, well, you know, you're sin this way, but I sin this way. My sin's better than your sin. I mean, sin is sin, right? Isn't it? I mean, sin is, is Christ is honoring, Christ crucifying. He, there's consequences to all sin, and we believe that, and I'm affirming that today. But right here in the Bible, Paul sets this one sin aside, and he says, you got to understand, that's unique. Now, it's not unique in that it's, 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 it's greater sin or anything like that, but it's unique in that, that the way you're wired, it has unique consequences upon your life and upon your future and upon, upon, upon who you are as a person. Folks, and so because of the, the intensity of the sexual drive, because of the depth of intimacy in the sexual relationship, because of how sexual activity deeply impacts who we are and how we think of ourselves and how we think of others and how we think of God, we cannot toy with it. That's what Paul is saying. We can't toy with it. We're a fool to believe that we can start that engine up, let it idle, and nobody gets hurt. If you linger at pornographic pictures, you will sin and you will be damaged by it. If you don't shun the advances of someone who's not your spouse, you'll be hurt. Your marriage will be hurt. Your future will be hurt. If you flirt, you're creating and stirring up sinful desire that, that can only end in one of two places. Either, either that, that desire, and I'm talking about the other person now, what you're doing to somebody else. You know, you're either going to cause them to sin or... You're going to cause them to have to fight tooth and nail in their own spirit to get out of that. Either way, you hurt them. Either way, you hurt them. I've tried my best to express the gravity of this, this whole thing. But listen to what Paul says. Verse 5. But you may be sure of this. That everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. You know what he's doing? And he's putting an exclamation point behind this deal. And saying, we got to listen. We got to listen. Okay? Now, now, now let's, let's step back and say, what exactly is he saying? Okay? Now, I don't believe he's saying that if you've ever been sexually immoral, that you, you can't ever be saved, you can't ever be in heaven, you can't ever be right with God. He's not saying that. How do I know that? Because, listen, what he, Paul, same guy, says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, he says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? So, same thing he's saying here. Do not be deceived, neither sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. But listen to verse 11. Okay, you ready? And such were some of you. Good news, isn't it? 
You see, it's possible to be that and not be that anymore. Is that, is that great news or what? It's possible to be that yesterday, not be that today from now on. That's awesome. That's only through the cross. That's only through the blood of Jesus Christ and the body of Jesus Christ that that is possible. That we can say, look, I was that, but I'm not that anymore. Listen to what he says in verse 11. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I think 1 John helps us understand statements like this in the Bible. Um, because listen, listen to what First John says, okay? And this is all in one package, one book, okay? First John 1, 9, he says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So let's say that you, you lust, okay? You're a born-again believer. All those things that are true about you, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You're joined to Jesus Christ. You're in union with Him. You have a weak moment in your life tomorrow, and, and you lust after somebody that's not your spouse, okay? Is there forgiveness? Yes, there is. Take it to the cross immediately. First John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that good news? He is. Okay, so, so, so there, there is these, these isolated sins of weakness. That, that let's just be honest. We all, born again believers, are going to deal with, struggle with on one level or another. In, in some degree of, 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 of difficulty or another. Okay, And for those sins, there is forgiveness. We can come to Jesus and we can turn away from our sin and we can put our faith in Him. We can say, God, I messed up. Uh, I don't want to live that way. I, I want you, Jesus. You're greater. I'm sorry. Give me power. God, give me accountability. Give me the Word of God. God, give me whatever steps in my life that I need to take right now to get away from that sin. Let me tell you, that happens in born-again believers every week in this church. And it's God's provision for us to live out the Christian life. Okay, that's different than living a life of habitual sin. Okay, does that make sense? Now, let let me read you what John, same guy, okay, same guy that just wrote the verse that we just talked about. Listen to what he says in chapter 3, okay, two chapters later. He says in in verse, uh, where do I want to start? Let's look in verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning, okay, see that's different. The Greek tense, the, the verb tense is even different. It's, it's a present tense verb. That, it's a continuing action. Okay? It, it's the kind of action that says, I know I'm doing this. I'm going to do it today, and I'm going to do it tomorrow, and I'm going to do it the next day. Okay? Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Verse 6, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. In verse 6 of our text, Paul says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. In the Bible, whenever it talks of being a son of somebody, it means your life is characterized by that. And so what, what Paul is clearly saying here is that people whose lives are characterized by sexual sin, you're not fighting against it. You're not, you're not coming to the Word of God. There's not repentance in your life. There, there's not this restoration that Jesus is bringing through this. But rather, you're, you, this is just the way you live. You're, you're, you're making excuses for it. You're, uh, uh, you're unrepentant. You don't respond to the Word of God. When you come hear a message like this at Lincoln Avenue, you, you walk out of here saying, well, great, yeah, that's his opinion, but whatever. Here's, here's what Paul definitively says, okay? And, and I'm not saying this. Paul is saying this. He says, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. This is the wrath of God. Is coming upon us. Look, look at verse 6. 
Don't be deceived. Let no one deceive you with empty words because of these things. Now, now why would we be deceived? Okay? What, what Paul is saying here is there's a deception that was in Paul's day. It was there 500 years ago. It was there 1,000 years ago. And it's there today that says, look, you know, this is not a big deal. You're in love. God has an exception for you. Okay? I'm telling you, that's a lie. Man, I, I remember shortly after getting saved, I heard that in my ears. God has an exception for you. You, you don't... Yeah, that's the basic rule, but you know, you, your situation is different. And Paul says, don't be deceived by that. That's a lie. That's a deception. That's foolhardy. The wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience. Notice verse 5. Verse 5 is an interesting verse. It brings in another word here. It says, you, you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater. And again, he says the same thing in Colossians. An idol- what, what do you mean, Paul, an idolater, you know? What's an idolater? An idolater is someone who worships another god. You know, why, why, would, he, why would he say the sexually immoral people are people that, that must be idolaters? Well, the way he, Paul is using the word idolater there is, is someone who values and follows and worships something other than God. Okay? And, and here's the thing that's true. Whenever we place our desire above God, you see, it's possible to be a worshiper of your own desire. You know, it's possible to say, okay, this desire is loose in, in my life and, and, and it's, it's, it's boss. It's over God and it, it's over the word of God. And it's over the truth. It's, a, it's over everything. My desire, it rules. Okay, when you do that, you, you're, you're worshiping something other than God. Folks, this is significant. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't know, be too much, but I don't know that I can be too much. Man, this is rampant in our culture. It's rampant among our young people. There, there are so many Christian young people that are being harmed by this so early in life, almost before they get their head on their shoulders. And then they, they, they live with this damage the rest of their life. And, and there's the redemption. Yes, there is in the cross. But, but what Paul is pleading for us is to be the kind of church that says, hey, we're, we're ahead of this deal. <laughs> we, we, we trust the Word of God. We believe the Word. We know that, that this temptation is coming. And we know how hard it is. I mean, that's something that, that we got to get our, you know, our heads around. You know, last week, last Saturday, we, we pitched to the men about accountability. And we even had an accountability time right in front of everybody, you know. Two guys just shared the show, talked about the show, talked about this issue. And where they had struggled that week. Why would anybody do that? The only reason to do that is because the damage for messing up is so great that you're willing to say, you know what? I'll take a little embarrassment and I'll I'll take a little snicker and I'll take a little whatever. I'll be humiliated, but I don't want to fall into that. We're going to transition into closing our service and partaking of the body and blood of Christ. The guys will go ahead and come up and, and get our stuff ready. Let me just tell you, I didn't plan communion for this service. <laughs> In fact, I tried everything to try to switch it around, but nothing really worked. Um, I, I tried to get it to n- tonight, but there's things happening tonight that just didn't make it work well. I knew that I wouldn't honor Christ it, by doing it tonight. We're supposed to do it at the end of every month. That was kind of our commitment last year. 
And uh, we missed May because of a bunch of stuff that was happening in, in church and community. And so, you know, I'd planned it for the last Sunday in June. I didn't know I would be in this service. And, man, I really struggled with, wow, do you talk about this heavy thing and then have communion? And the more I thought about it, I thought, yes, yes, we have to. You know why? Because I think there's a lot of us in this room that feel, man, just stained by, by this, this sin. And, and here's the beauty of what we're about to partake of. We're about to partake of the body and blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all our stains. Amen? I mean, that's what communion is all about. It's about embracing and appropriating the gospel. And it's about saying, the gospel is what I need in, in this part of my life and in every part of my life. And you know what? I, th- I think there's a lot of things about this. I think there's a lot of people probably here today who, who have been hurt by sexual sin on the other end of it. Okay? It wasn't their sin, but it was somebody else's sin. You know what? Jesus makes you clean. The body and blood of Jesus make us clean. And you know what? Here, here's what I tell guys all the time. There is no more powerful weapon against fighting, for fighting against sin, especially sexual sin, than the cross. What, what do you do with your mind when, when there's this desire in you and, and there's these temptations everywhere? Where, where do you take your mind that, 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 that gets you out of that? You take it to the cross. You take it to Jesus Christ, the beautiful Lamb of God, the King, hanging on a cross. His body mangled, split apart, bleeding, broken to take your wrath so you'll never experience the wrath of God so that your sins can be washed away so that you can be clean and that picture that picture we had to drive our minds to that picture constantly